Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and uh, we have a really good one for you today on episode 85. But just before we get into that, uh, first of all, I hope you're all doing well. Uh, it just came to my attention. I saw this on uh, Facebook recently uh, on uh, Shah Jahan Khan's uh, Facebook page. Uh, he had just posted that... Uh, Mirza Mongol had just underwent a, a successful uh, surgery for a brain tumor and uh, it was successful. However, uh, there's a GoFundMe page now to help him uh, overcome the costs of that surgery. So uh, if you're interested in, in assisting uh, Mirza Mongol, one of the greats uh, of the game back in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, I believe he reached as high as uh, <clears throat> number six in the world, if not higher. Uh, fantastic player, was coaching, uh, I believe, in the U.S. Uh, for a number of years, managed to uh, find uh, a decent coaching arrangement there after a bit of a struggle early on. But um, at any rate, uh, yes, Shah Jahan Khan had started a GoFundMe page. So if anyone's in interested in contributing to, to that, please uh, visit his uh, Shah Jahan Khan's page and uh, go to the GoFundMe uh, that he has up there right now. So. Uh, all the best to Mirza Mongol. I hope uh, uh, things go well for you going for him going forward. Now, uh, today on the podcast, as uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Sarah Gosel, world number ten, current world number ten at the age of 20, uh, 32. Uh, a bit of a late bloomer, I guess you could say. Uh, I'd, I'd even describe myself as a bit of a late, late bloomer in my own little uh, world of the things I do. But uh, yeah, he's been playing uh, his best squash of his career. Uh, just recently uh, uh, won the Asian Championships, the first time uh, ever for an Indian to do so, alongside his uh, countryman, Joshna Chinapa, who won her second, I believe. Uh, and uh, we had a really great chat. Uh, we, described, we talked quite a bit about his road uh, to, uh, to the top 10, uh, persevering through some, some difficult times early on, I guess and persevering through, uh, through self-belief and uh, a process that now is working for him. Um, he had a, he's had a, a great and invaluable relationship with, uh, with Malcolm Wilstrup, and uh, he talks at length about what Malcolm means, has meant to him throughout his career. And then also moving on to, um, along with Malcolm, he's started, he recently joined forces with um, David Palmer, and uh, we talked quite a bit about what David's done to his game. This was uh, relatively recent, maybe a year or so ago that it, it started, uh, that he started to work with uh, David. So the combination of obviously uh, working with uh, Malcolm for all these years, uh, bringing him to a very high level, and then uh, working with David who maybe tweaked a few things or added a few uh, technical uh, things. Well, we talked quite a bit about uh, what David brought to the table for Sorov. So. So there's some really great insight in terms of his uh, road uh, over the years, uh, which has brought him today to the top 10. And, and also we get uh, at the end of our chat, he gives a really tremendous uh, tribute to Rami Asher. Obviously he's played him several times, but uh, I think what he has to say about um, there being great players and then there being great players who have changed the game. And uh, Rami's definitely one of these guys who have uh, changed the game and, and made the others, uh, his competitors around him, uh, have to play squash 
differently in order to compete at the same level as Rami and uh, Seraph goes into that in, in great detail and uh, gives us gives a real sort of uh, I would call it a stirring tribute to to Rami so I know you're going to enjoy that uh, episode 85 today with Saraf Gosel. Great. Well, uh, yeah, this is episode uh, 85, Saraf, and uh, we might as well just get started. You're currently uh, number 10 in the world, uh, your highest ever PSA ranking, 12-time uh, Indian national champion, uh, quarter-finalist in the World Open and, and the Grasshopper Cup most recently, and, uh, of course, uh, first ever Indian to win the Asian Championships. So, Saraf, it's great to have you on uh, the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, that's a big list and um, yeah. I'm really thankful for, for everything. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be on this. Absolutely. Yeah, it is a big list and that's only uh, the recent stuff. So, uh, but uh, you've had a great uh, last, uh, you know, 2018 and 2019 uh, uh, have been quite good for you. So uh, again, first, congrats on the Asian Championships. Uh, what did the, that accomplishment mean to you and how did it feel uh, after, after that victory? Um, I think with the Asian Championships, I've been close on a few occasions before, and I haven't quite gotten over the line. Uh, so it's uh, it's good that um, I kind of finally, uh, you know, won it. Uh, it's I think important for India uh, as well to uh, do it uh, for the future generations uh, to kind of have something to get inspired about. Uh, so hopefully, uh, this is the beginning for me. Uh, and I can add a few more, uh, and then the generations after me can can do uh, our country proud uh, by winning a few more as well. So it's a start. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, not only you, but uh, also on the women's side, Josh Chinap, she also took the women's title. So uh, it must speak volumes in terms uh, of the growth of squash in India since the days when, when you broke in uh, onto the tour back when, uh, I guess that would have been when Ritwick, uh, Bhattacharya was she but when he was still uh, around <laughs> yeah for sure I mean if 15 years back anyone said that two Indians would do a double at the Asian Championships people most people would have laughed at it so it is a big leap uh, uh, for us as a as a country in the sport uh, yes when I started Rithwik was the one who kind of showed us the way in terms of being a professional squash player on the PSA World Tour he was definitely uh, the pioneer as, uh, of, uh, of sorts in in terms of being a proper proper professional player. So um, I think he uh, must be given credit for kind of charting an unknown path uh, for an Indian uh, back then, almost 20 years back now, uh, to kind of show us the way. And um, I'm just uh, happy and glad that I've been able to uh, carry that baton on from him and, and um, you know, thankfully push the boundaries slightly further uh, for, for everyone uh, uh, behind us now. Absolutely. I, I, I do remember him from back then. I mean, I, I've been following or well, playing the game for a long time. And uh, I do recall, uh, although I don't have specifics, but he did do quite well. I mean, he, he was playing some high-level squash himself back in the day. Yes, uh, he made uh, 38 in the world, which was his highest ranking. Uh, and I think, uh, but I think his biggest um, contribution uh, to Indian squash was the very fact that, you know, before him, there were no really any professional squash players from India. I remember when I was really, really young, when I was like 8, 9, 10, starting to play junior nationals, I didn't even know what the PSA was all about. And only when 
he kind of started playing the tour, did I kind of have an idea of uh, uh, the PSA World Tour and the tournaments. And then uh, when I started playing the tour when I was like 17, 18, I kind of played a lot of tournaments with him and we shared a lot of rooms yeah. uh, at tournaments together. And he uh, definitely helped me, um, you know, get used to the life of a professional squash player, showed me around in those first few years and uh, definitely eased my way onto the tour. Uh, whereas I'm sure he would have struggled to begin with because he was the lone Indian at that time. So uh, I definitely have to give him credit for all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, now also, you mentioned earlier you wanted you sort of uh, push the boundaries a bit for the, those coming up. I mean, you've got some good young players coming up, uh, as you alluded to. Uh, I guess guys like uh, Ramit Tandon, uh, Manish uh, Mangogar. He just won the the Indian national or last year's national championship. I guess you were injured for that one. You didn't play, or uh, in um, I wasn't injured. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't injured. Uh, I was just. Uh, I mean, I'm 32 now, so I. Re- Realize and understand uh, that my body can only take so much, and I have uh, a certain amount of time left uh, at the top level of the sport. So, so I'm trying to protect my body and my mind as well uh, to uh, kind of focus on uh, the certain goals that I have uh, to accomplish. Um, and in that process, it kind of means that um, I have to kind of forego some of the stuff that I would love to do. I've played the nationals so many times and it means a lot to me uh, and like you said winning it 12 times is a big thing um, yeah. Uh, but yeah those are tough decisions that I have to make uh, but we're taking these decisions with the with a long view in mind um, and hopefully um, it'll it'll kind of benefit us uh, to do the things that we really really want to do in the sport and the time that I have left yeah, absolutely and I guess uh, giving these guys a chance uh, to fight it out as well Vikram Mahurcher as, as well I think he played in the final uh, gives them sort of a, a bit of momentum in, uh, going forward which is uh, you know something you want to do to uh, to grow the game in, in India as well yeah for sure I think we have a strong batch of players I definitely think that uh, the players that we have right now is the strongest group uh, that Indian squash has ever had on the men's side uh, and uh, it bodes well for Indian squash moving forward. Uh, having said that, um, it's not something that we need to rest on. We need to still um, kind of uh, groom the next generation after them. Uh, I think we are at a stage. So I think the progression has been where when I started, we weren't really competing at the top end uh, of world squash. I think now we're competing at the top end. Uh, I think the next next step is to kind of uh, get in with a realistic shot of winning the big things uh, and that's the next uh, kind of jump that Indian squash uh, needs to make and hopefully we can make that in during my playing time and once we do do that it, it'll be a question of you know the staying power of being there at the top end of of the game so um, it's it's a continuous process and we need to stay on our toes um, individually as players and as uh, and collectively as a as a country as well. Well, you came pretty close yourself there at the World uh, World Open, get, getting to the quarters. I'll get. I'll, I would like to talk to you a bit a bit about that uh, later on. But uh, I mean, you have you've had some good results, which bode well uh, for you going forward and uh, uh, pursuing those those uh, higher end results. But I just want to let you know, uh, Sarv, we we met. Uh, I don't know if you know that. You you probably don't remember because you're so young. But we actually met in two thousand two. Really? Can you guess where? 
I'm guessing in Chennai. In Busan. Oh, Busan, Korea. Yeah. That was my first games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I don't know how old you must have been, 16 or something back then. Yeah, I was 16 or 17. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, uh, I, I used to live there and I used to play a fair bit with some of the guys on, on the Korean team. And, uh, yeah, we, we chatted for a bit and I, I just thought, yeah, this guy, I did, first, I didn't know how old you were, but you didn't, you looked uh, younger than 16. <laughs> I'd, like to think, I'd like to think I look younger than 32 as well right now. Oh, so I'm well, trying to... <laughs> you definitely do, yeah. <laughs> but I guess back, I mean, back at that time, you, you'd also achieved quite a bit uh, for Indian squash as well. I mean, you, you had a very high ranking as a junior, did you not, in the world rankings? Yeah, I mean, I won the British junior, so I was world junior number one for a bit. Um, I probably... Uh, not probably, I definitely had a bit of a disappointing World Juniors in 2005, uh, which was a bit of a setback for me as a junior squash player. But I guess, um, you know, things things happen for a reason. Um, I've had highs and lows in my career. Um, I think now I have better perspective of everything that's gone on uh, over the last 10, 15 years. Um, I think I, I deal... I would like to think, let's say, I deal with uh, losses a bit better. Uh, I'd also like to think I deal with wins um, better as well to kind of in a better position to back them up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, I think now it's a question of, like, you know, doing whatever I can uh, in the time that I have left. And then once I'm finished and I can sit back and, and, and see and be happy or content with what I've achieved. Uh, but right now, the focus is to, you know, work hard and and uh, make every every day and every moment that I have left in the sport count as much as I possibly can. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, now you turned. Uh, I guess you you turned pro maybe a few years after we we met, and you uh, at that time I'm not sure when, but you would have established a. Uh, very strong relationship with uh, Pontefract and Malcolm uh, Willstrip. So just like for, for everyone who may not know, how, how did this, uh, how did you establish uh, that relationship with Malcolm and uh, how did he impact your game back in that, at that time, back in the early So days? the first time ever I saw Malcolm Willstrop was when James Willstrop came to Chennai in 2002, December, uh, where he won the world juniors. All right. um, I remember watching James play and that was the first time ever I'd seen him live. And uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, um, I liked the way he played. Mm. And for some even weirder reason, I thought I could play like him. Uh, and, <laughs> okay. um, uh, and I just felt that, I don't know, like internally, what, like was it his uh, was it his uh, a sort of a shot making or his, his style of play or was it his temperament or was it the whole package? I think it was the whole package, but I think the thing that really really struck out for me was, uh, like he married um, the he kind of married the expression of himself with the accuracy of it in terms of shot making. And I think that really, really like, uh, I, it really appealed to me. So I kind of felt internally that, that you know, I, I've always been quick. And I felt that if I could include that in my game where I could express myself 
through the shot making, but at the same time structure it really well with the accuracy and precision that he has, that it would be a really, really good combination to have uh, to compete at the, at the top level. And I felt like if I could do that, it would be brilliant. Um, and I, I, I'd never spoken to James. I didn't speak to Malcolm even once. He was uh, a bit of a superhero at the junior level back then, wasn't he? Well, he still is a superhero, but he, he was a, yeah, I mean, he he was was a big, big, time, big name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was pretty much unbeatable. Like He was head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's when I kind of decided, okay, uh, I was still in school at that time. And I said, okay, let me finish school in India. And then I want to go train abroad. Uh, and I want to go to Malcolm Wilstrop. And that was that. And I didn't do anything about it. I didn't speak to Malcolm about it, nothing. And I was finishing with school in uh, the March of 2004. Um, and I think uh, I was going to start applying to, uh, to colleges in England uh, because obviously Malcolm's in England. And I took a gap year because I hadn't done my kind of entrance exams to go to England during my grade 12 uh, in school. So during the year of like 2004, I kind of started giving the exams. And then uh, Major Manyam was in uh, Chennai at that point in time. And he um, had a like an acquaintance with Malcolm Wilstrop. And I basically told Major like, you know, I want to go abroad. I want to go to England and I want to go and train with Malcolm Wilstrop. So can you introduce me to him by email or whatever you can do? So he introduced us, I think, through email or by phone. I'm not quite sure. Uh, and my dad spoke to Malcolm. And we applied to a few universities in England, um, including the London School of Economics, which was my dream school to go to because I'm in, like, I love economics. and That was going to be my major. Right. And uh, we applied to Leeds as well because we knew that was close to Pontefract. And uh, in April 2005, I think we went to England over the course of a week, 10 days to kind of check out the universities and decide on which university to go to. And we went to um, Pontefract to also check out, you know, like what the place was, the squash scene and everything. And I remember going there for about three days. I didn't understand a word of what Malcolm was talking, even though he was speaking <laughs> English. It seemed like he was speaking Latin to me in his Yorkshire accent. Yeah. Uh, but I was just trying to get, get by as much as I could. Um, but I remember... We were supposed to go down to London um, to see the London School of Economics. That was the last stop on our, on our university tour before flying back to India from London. And I remember telling my dad after the three days in Pontifying, saying, okay, dad, you know what? We're going to go to London, but we're not going to go to LSE because I know if I go there, I, I'd want to go there to study because I'm not going to go to, go to Leeds because I want to train with Malcolm Wilstrop and that this is it. So let's just decide on Leeds and, and finalize this. And that was yeah. that. And yeah. that's how Malcolm Wilson happened. So I went in September of 2005. And I don't know how to say this, but Malcolm Wilstrop is, is probably the most influential figure in my career in terms of squash that has ever happened. Mm -hmm. um, what I am as a professional squash player is, is pretty much solely because of him. Uh, I think everyone else that I work with since I went to Malcolm, um, uh, have kind of added kind of the icing on the cake. Uh, but the proof in the pudding is what Malcolm has made me as a squash player. Uh, the relationship I have with him is, is unbelievable. Uh, I cannot explain how we have this relationship, how we are so close. Um, but we have this connect. 
And, well, obviously, uh, obviously, he bought in bought into you right away. He knew, you know, what he had on his hands. Obviously, a talented player, guy who's dedicated. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess I think, but I think with Malcolm, uh, I think the most important thing is that we both, um, before everything that comes with the squash, I think both of us respect and love each other as two people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is the that is the starting point of our relationship. And the squash and everything else comes after that. Uh, so just to give you an insight into what Malcolm Wilshop is like, like a lot of Indians uh, want to go to train with Malcolm since I've been there. And right. every time someone like emails him or calls him uh, to ask whether you know they can come or when they can come, he always kind of asks me like as a reference point. And till date, he has never ever asked me how good or bad any of these players are. His only question to me has always been, um, is he a good person? And uh, that is his only yardstick of kind of uh, being okay with inviting someone to to Pontefract. Uh, And that is the sort of person he is. He's he's a person who has made me the person I am as well. He's a person who um, is more than a squash coach. He's more a life coach. He, He wants to make players who are who he's going to be proud of to call his players in terms of people before he calls them his players in terms of the players he, they are. So, so that is the way he is. And I think that's how Pontifex Squash and Leisure Club is built. That is the foundation of that, of that institution. And I think that is why you have everyone who comes out of there. Um, there is a certain uh, kind of expectation from the people who come out of Pontifex Squash and Leisure Club. And I think James is, is, uh, is a perfect example mm. of, uh, of that player, both in terms of the person he is and in terms of the, of the, uh, of the player he is. So when I went there, um, you know, Malcolm, is, Malcolm does not get on court with you very often. Like I've been with Malcolm since I was 18 years old, so that's 15 years. And I've probably gotten on court with him maybe like, four or five times. And oh. in every time he's gone on court with me, he's made it a point to tell me that remember this day and mark it in your calendar because it's a red letter day in your life. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, yeah. so he's, he obviously is very good at like telling you what to do, how to do it, picking the right shot at the right time, technically getting you in the right frame um, to, you know, put the balls in the right places. Uh, but I think what really helped me was James is a practical illustration of what, G, uh, of what Malcolm is trying to tell you theoretically. And I think that helped me a great deal in understanding what Malcolm was trying to say and then seeing it happen live in front of me with James really, really helped me to kind of imbibe what Malcolm was trying to say into my game. And I think both together are a perfect combination of, um, of you know, trying to kind of learn uh, in the best possible way of what happens at Pontefract. Absolutely. Uh, couldn't agree more. I've seen, uh, obviously seen you play several times and, uh, and of course, James. And, and one thing that really uh, stands out and strikes me uh, as very, you know, it, it's great for the game and quite interesting is that the both of you, the, your temperament on court couldn't be, uh, better, you couldn't be better role models for, for players coming up, young players coming up. I mean, I remember a few tournaments back, I was watching James play someone and there were like three or four really sort of debatable, very debatable uh, calls that went against them. 
and he basically just wiped his hand on the wall and went back to the, you know, to return the next point. And I think you're, you, you play in that way as well. And, and I guess that's sort of a, uh, it exemplifies the, the Pontefract way, maybe. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think uh, Malcolm obviously is very high, uh, you know, on making sure that his players are well behaved. Um, I'd like to think that I've, I've, I've done it the right way for most of the time. Um, I'll be the first to admit that, that that I have made some mistakes in the past, uh, and I've made um, you know like sometimes it's just pure instinct and it's a reaction where you know in the heat of the moment and you kind of argue with the refs and and things like that. But I think the most important thing um, is to be able to post the event, understand that it was not right, and not you know like say that okay it was um, you can get away with it as long as you can um, identify. Um, what you've done is right or wrong and kind of um, do your best to make sure that it doesn't happen again. I think the attitude of that is is the most important thing. Um, so I think that's what we, we strive to do. Uh, we try to be the best we can be uh, on any given day. Um, both James and I believe that um, the person you are on court um, is the person you are off court. I know a lot of people believe that you can be a certain way off court and uh, you can be another person um, on the court. Uh, but, I mean, we, we both believe that squash is a microcosm of life. It's, it's life in a, in a controlled setting with controlled variables. So if you're going to act a certain way uh, when pushed um, with your backs to the wall inside a squash court, uh, which is controlled, and let's, let's get real, uh, winning or losing a squash match, if you have perspective, uh, has nothing on all the problems that you could face really in life. Um, right. So if you're going to act a certain way on a squash court, then the chances are that when you're pushed against the wall in life, you're definitely going to act um, at least to that degree in life, if not further out. So um, we believe that if you uh, can present yourself in a genuine, uh, proper, clear way on a squash court, you have better chances of being a better person uh, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of it in life as well. Uh, so I think that's what we strive to do. We we try to be true to ourselves, uh, be genuine people, uh, both on court and off court, uh, so that we uh, we can have the respect of, of everyone around us uh, whilst achieving what we want to achieve. And I think uh, uh, that's the greatest triumph of any athlete in any sport. Uh, if they can do it the right way, I think they have the respect of everyone. And uh, their legacy as players is enhanced um, a great, great deal. So that's why I think both James and me really, really admire someone like Amir Shabana, for example, yeah. uh, for what he's achieved. We think that he's, he's one of the best world number ones uh, that we've had, uh, best and world champions that we've had uh, over the years because absolutely, ridiculously good squash player. If anyone wants to learn how to play squash, Amir Shabana is the one to watch. Before I play my league matches, if I have a big match, I, I, I used to always uh, just watch uh, him on squash TV before, beforehand. It, it just yeah. put me in the right, right frame of mind yeah. and go out and try to sort of mimic what he does if it's possible. Yeah, he's brilliant because yeah. uh, you know, he has the perfect technique, structures the points perfectly, um, moves brilliantly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know for a fact that when he was playing uh, on the tour, I used to try and make it a point to go watch him play live as much as I could uh, because I always felt that after I watched him play, I played better myself. So it's almost 
uh, I mean, I, I remember very clearly, like most of the times when he played before me, I almost certainly played pretty well in my matches because it was just so clear. Like everything was, the clarity in the way he played was, was so good. And I remember the day he retired, I was really, really sad because I felt like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to see this guy play. He can't retire like yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 So really sad. And I mean, like, I think he's one of the best squash players that have ever played. Um, I think someone like Rami Ashur, for example, who retired a couple of weeks back, very sad that he retired. Um, and he's probably, in my opinion, one of the best players ever to play the game as well. But he's someone you cannot copy. He's, he's <laughs> no. someone who, who is, uh, you know, like from another planet, who's doing things in a completely different way. Right. An alien on squash court. Him, you're going to be... Exactly, you know, like you're gonna you're gonna look like uh, a complete a complete fool if you try and copy Rami, but you can copy Amir Shabana. So yeah. If you want to learn how to play squash, you you need to watch Shabana. If you want to just enjoy and see someone produce things which are out of this world, you need to watch Rami. Yes, perf- perfectly. Uh, well, very well said, Sarf. I couldn't uh, agree more. Now, uh, I just want to fast forward a, a little bit and. Um, it hasn't all been uh, firsts and championships over the last couple of years. You might know where I'm going with this. Uh, with uh, last year at the Commonwealth Games, you had a, you know, I guess it would have been a, a very difficult loss for you, uh, maybe in the second or third round to Chris uh, Binney. And I remember at the time, uh, I forget if it was if it was on Twitter or not, but I remember you were very sort of uh, you were hard on yourself after that. And uh, so, if you don't mind, just take us back to that point because I think. After that happened to you, things started to positive things started happening. So, um, what what was it about that match and that at that at the games uh, for you? What do you remember, and how how did that sort of lead into where you are today? I think for starters, I think I need to give you a backstory on that event. Uh, so, the Commonwealth Games was April of 2018, exactly a year back now. Yeah, uh, I remember in the summer of 2017. Uh, you know, I'd, I sat down with my team, um, my physical trainer, uh, with Malcolm as well, um, and everyone around me, my family, everyone. And, and the Commonwealth Games was the, was the big target uh, because I genuinely felt that I could, I could really, really do well at that event and, uh, you know, even win gold. Um, so I did everything from probably like June 2017 um, in terms of picking tournaments, uh, doing my training, everything to peak for that, for that event. So to land up at the Gold Coast and lose uh, my first match and the second round in the Commonwealth Games to Christopher Binney uh, was, I'd say, probably the biggest um, loss of my career. Mm. Um, it was ridiculously hard. Uh, and I was, I was really disappointed because A, obviously I lost and B, I, I definitely did not play at the level uh, that I was capable of and I and I trained for and like nothing came together and and it really really hurt me and I was at a stage where I wasn't so sure whether uh, I kind of had it in me to to push more and to go higher and, and I'm one of these people who who feels that if I'm going to do something I want to be able to do it as one of the world's best so I wasn't sure in my belief anymore after that whether uh, I had in me to you know really push uh, for the top end of the game anymore. And it took me a good month, month and a half to kind of like get away from the game after those games and, and kind of reassess what I wanted to do, 
uh, how I wanted to uh, move forward with squash, with my life and, and everything of that sort. And I think the thing that kind of brought me back was that, you know, I'd given so much of my life to this game, 20 years of my life, and I didn't want to end on, on that. Like, I didn't want to finish my career on a loss like that. So I kind of told myself, okay, I'm going to give, give it one, one more big push uh, and see how it goes and try and end on a high. Um, and then I started thinking that how, how am I going to do that? So I've obviously done and trained a certain way uh, for quite a bit of time. And I, maybe, and I felt that maybe I needed to do something add, or maybe add something to what I'm already doing to kind of really give myself the best possible opportunity to go higher. Uh, I'd been top 20 since 2013. Uh, so it had been like four or five years that I'd been top 20 and I hadn't made top 10. So I said, okay, look, no matter what I do now, top 20 is always going to be on my resume. No one's going to take that away from me. So I need to kind of maybe risk it a little bit and see what I can do. And that's how mm. David Palmer happened. Um, right. I know um, Shorbagi, Mohammed Shorbagi for, for a very, very long time. And we talked quite a bit. And I spoke to Mo about it and he had gone to David from the summer 2017. So I spoke to him and I asked him that, you know, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about David? How does he do it? Uh, and stuff like that. Uh, and he, and Mo was more recommended David very highly. So I called David, I think May last year. And I said, David, okay, this is, you were there at the Commonwealths. You know that I had bad loss and blah, blah, blah. And um what do you think? Do you, I would like to work with you. Do you think you can work with me? And do you think you can help me? Uh, because I want to make top 10 and I want to go higher. So what do you think? And he, um, he kind of said that, you know, look, I've obviously played with you as well. And I've always rated you very highly. And I definitely think I can help you. And that's how it started. And, uh, and I decided, okay, I'm going to go to him in June. And I'm going to take it from there. And I remember the first week when I went there, um, I was like, this is ridiculous. I mean, there's so many things that he wants me to do that I don't think I can do. Uh, <laughs> like what? It's difficult. It's like there are certain routines. Uh, he was, like he's explaining to me that, okay, you need to do this. I'm going to do this. And then on this, you need to do this and blah, blah, blah. And I remember looking at David after he explains the routines and I'm like, David, are you sure you're not missing something out? Like, are you not supposed to be hitting something in the middle? Because this seems impossible to me. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, trust me, you're going to be able to do this. And I remember the first week I struggled. I struggled big time. Um, but then in the second week, I was a lot better. And I was like, okay, this is, this is possible. And I'm still not the finished article. Um, but the process is a lot far along the road than what it was last June. Uh, and that's why I think I'm playing better today than what I was playing a year back. Oh, um, sure, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's definitely, very, I mean, it, to me, it's really noticeable. I mean, not, not that extreme because you already had a very good game, but you've just taken it to that, to that next level. I mean, you're, you're beating guys that are, you know, that you should be beating and then you're really competing against guys that are just above you. Yeah. yeah so I think, I mean, like now the, the next, next stage is to, um, you know, I'm very, very close to the top end now. I genuinely, I think before I went to David, against the top guys, it was like, I felt like I needed to play really well on a given day and they needed to be slightly off their game for me to win. I think now I'm at a stage where I believe that even if they are playing, um, you know, at their top end or, or their top level, uh, if I can play at my top level, I'm in with a serious shout uh, to win. I think that's the difference in the, in the belief in my, in my head. Um, but now it's a question of being able to do it on a consistent basis. Uh, and that's what's, 
going to be the difference between me being, you know, top 10 in the world to being, let's say, top five in the world. So um, it's a process. Um, it's not happening overnight. Uh, I have to keep working uh, and hopefully it'll happen in the near future for me. Absolutely. Now, I just wanted to ask you one thing. I've had, a, I've, I've had David uh, on the podcast and I've had a couple of other people who've been, who are working with him, one uh, being Holly Naughton. You might know her. She's Canadian. Uh, I'm Canadian, so I, t- I like to have a lot of Canadian content on my podcast. But uh, she, and I, I, had, I had assumed that uh, obviously David's technically one of the best ever, to ever play the game. But uh, physically, uh, he could be amongst the best uh, to ever play the game. So I, I just assume that uh, when you go to him, it's going to be a tough physical uh, uh, training. But uh, she sort of said that it wasn't really that. It was more uh, technical stuff. Is that the way it is with, between the two of you as well? Yeah, so I think the first thing that we spoke about when we went there was how can he help me the most? Um, so he kind of laid down what he thought I was really good at. So one of the first things was, look, you have a really good base game with what Malcolm has uh, put in you as a foundation. Uh, you're physically good. Um, we think you can play at a higher intensity. So the whole concept was to be able to take the game that I have and to play that at a higher intensity. Um, I've been working with, with Brown, uh, who's my physical trainer for a long time. So, so I think David has left the physical side of it to Damon. Uh, but what I would say is that the, like the squash part that we do, uh, that I do with David in terms of the feeding sessions, the pressure sessions, uh, the routines that I do uh, with him, they are physically very, very demanding. Um, they are ridiculously intense sessions. Um, it's, it's hard work in terms of that. Uh, I think he's left the physical side in terms of off-the-court stuff to, uh, to Damon to deal with for me because he's happy with, with my conditioning on that front. But in terms of the squash stuff, um, I don't know what Holly's talking about. It's ridiculously hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she's uh, she's been playing well of late too. So may, maybe it's just something she, uh, maybe it is happening uh, physically for her as well. It's not something that she's she's noticing yeah. uh, in the sessions. <laughs> well, trust me, I'm noticing that a lot. So I'm pretty sure she's <laughs> you're, noticing. You're a hell of a lot older than her, though. I know, I know, but I'd like to think I'm physically one of the best on tour. So if I'm feeling it, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. she's feeling it. No doubt, no doubt, absolutely. Now, uh, you've been great with your time, uh, uh, Sarf. I just wanted to ask you a couple more things. First of all, uh, you've, had some two, you've had two recent wins uh, on home soil, uh, one in your hometown uh, uh, in Calcutta and uh, the other one, the Ven, Vendetta, I think it was. Vedanta uh, 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 in Bombay. Yes, yeah. Uh, both, uh, you beat uh, Sahad Salim and Nikki Mueller, uh, respectively. So how, how was that uh, for you? How did that feel to win those events uh, at home uh, in front of the hometown? Uh, I, I, firstly, being in India is, is a pleasure. It's a privilege. Um, you know, it's, it's good not to be, have to travel halfway across the world to play a tournament. Uh, it's, uh, it's brilliant to have so many known faces around at events uh, supporting you. So uh, for all of that, it's, it's, it's brilliant to be able to win for them, in front of them. Um, I think winning in Calcutta is always the most special because that's where I started my squash when I was eight years old at the Calcutta Rackets Club. It 
It was also the club's 225th uh, year anniversary, which oh. makes it uh, the second um, oldest squash club in the world after uh, Abbeydale in Sheffield in England. Um, wow. So, so it's, uh, it's with the now, that's where you grew up. That's where you grew up playing, was it? Yes, that's where I started when I was eight years old in like 1995, I'd say. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, and I mean, I know the club members like since the time I started, like I've progressed from where the club, the top club members used to play with me because they were just happy that there was a junior and they gave me their time to obviously now me being where I am and, you know, they asking me to play with me whenever they want kind of thing. So uh, it's uh, like I know these people for like 25 years now and uh, to be able to win uh, at home in that club is is very special every single time. Absolutely. It must have been uh, fantastic for you uh, to be able to win there. Now, uh, also, I wanted to ask you, I know, I know in your family anyways, uh, there's no shortage of, uh, of uh, world-class athletes. Uh, your, your sister-in-law uh, playing uh, professionally on the PSA Tour. And uh, your brother-in-law uh, is a uh, world-class cricketer. Am I not mistaken? Yes, you are right. Yeah. Uh, on both. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and he, uh, I gather he, uh, Dinesh is, uh, is his name. He, yeah. yeah he just uh, was, um, uh, he just made the Indian national team. Did he not? Yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's been part of the Indian team for a long time. He's been in and out a bit. But yeah, he was just announced uh, about, I'd say two or three weeks back for the uh, World Cup squad for uh, for the Indian team, which is which is a big thing uh, because I think uh, we have a very very good team on paper. Uh, yeah. Definitely good to win the whole thing, uh, but obviously um, you know we all hope as Indians that uh, they can all produce their best uh, at the World Cup uh, next month uh, and hopefully bring the bring the trophy back home. Uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely one of his goals over the last year or so to to be part of uh, that team and hopefully be part of a special moment of, of lifting that trophy in, in England in a couple of months' time. Now, that must be a source of inspiration, I guess, for you both. I mean, for you to have achieved uh, what you've achieved recently and then obviously to have him uh, uh, over there uh, doing such uh, good things with the cricket. I guess that, that's motivation for you to, to keep on uh, working at it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think, uh, I think as a family, it's, uh, we don't really... Um, I mean, we obviously support each other in terms of the sport and you know motivate each other. But I think most importantly, uh, as a family, we are we are there for each other to kind of bring some sort of normalcy uh, in our lives, um, where we are we are focusing on stuff other than our sport. Um, you know, being more of a person-to-person uh, relationship, uh, talking about things which which help us grow as people uh, more than more than players and I think that that keeps um, us sane as as athletes as well and and it's healthy for us as a family because it helps us keep perspective during um, the highs and the lows that we are bound to uh, experience as as athletes uh, through our careers for sure for sure um, now, before you go, uh, Saurav, I just wanted to ask you, we talked a little bit earlier about, about Rami, but obviously, sadly, he had to uh, retire uh, definitely due to uh, you know, not being able to overcome those uh, injuries that he had. 
uh, the squash community uh, is obviously uh, quite saddened by this, but uh, happy to see him move on. He seems uh, to be taking it in stride and moving forward. But you've played with him uh, several times, uh, no doubt, played against him. Uh, just in, in short, you know, what do you remember about those matches with Rami and uh, what impact I'm sure he's had, you, you mentioned it earlier, did he have on you as, as a player uh, over the years? I think for starters, he's definitely the toughest player I have ever been on court with. <laughs> he, uh, he's, um, what he d- does or did is that he could play at a pace that no one else could play at. Um, and he could, at that pace, almost stop time for himself to not rush and still hold the ball and put it in places and be composed enough to be accurate and put it in places where you least want to go to. Um, In terms of um, what he did uh, or the impact he had on me as a player, um, I think think it's safe to say that me or any other player in our generation – I think what he has done or what he did was he changed the face of squash uh, 10 years back uh, because he took the game and the pace of the game to another level and everyone around him, Mm. uh, including the top end uh, of players, kind of had to go with him. Uh, And I think he is the main reason, uh, in my opinion at least, why the PSA World Tour is um, so much stronger in depth today than what it was when we started playing the professional tour like, like in 2003 or whatever um, and why the pace of the game is so much higher today than what it was at that time. Uh, he's the one who kind of lit the path uh, to make this game as exciting as it is today. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit for, for doing all of that. He's also the one who kind of, when he won that world title at 21, of course he did um, you know, he had big wins before that as well. But at 21, he won the world title in Manchester. I think it was 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of showed. So he's the same generation as me in the juniors. So he kind of showed and proved to all of us uh, in that group, which is a very, very strong group. If you look at the number of people who are in the top 20 from that junior age group, that, um, you know, we could be at that top level that soon that the players oh, yeah. who are already there um, can be beaten like now and not five or 10 years in the future. And I think that uh, mentality changed the way that my generation and the generations behind us have approached the PSA world tour and the, and, and the matches and the tournaments uh, that are there. So, you know, if you look at, even someone like Mohammed Shorbagi, for example, who also did it really young. Uh, um, I think he also um, kind of, he's always been someone who's believed very strongly in himself. But I think seeing Rami do what he did kind of emphasized it and drove the point home further for him. And there's so many other juniors as well. I mean, I'm not just talking about people who are in the top five or the top 10, but yeah. even people who are you know, top 20, top 30, like the level that's there right now, even top, 50, top 60 is, is very, very high. Yeah. You, know, you have people who are 30 in the world who believe that they can beat people in the top 20. Well, that you was got, not you got this new guy too, Mustafa Asal. He's going out there and, and playing really good like, squash. Uh, like, 
you would not like in like early 2000 or in the 1990s you did not have that you know that that belief from people lower down in the rankings that they could beat people in the at the top of the at the top of the tree and i think he's the one who changed that changed that mentality for everyone and he brought in a new uh, new era and i know he's uh, won a lot himself rami in terms of three world titles first egyptian to win the british open um, obviously a ridiculously good squash player but i think for me his biggest legacy is that he changed changed the game and yeah. um, a lot of people lot of top players lot of talented players a lot of hard working players a lot of great players come and go but if you can change the game uh, from what it has been to what it is now then that is the greatest legacy that you can leave for the sport and there are very very few people in the world of sport in the history of sport who can lay claim to that and rami is is definitely one of them so he's always going to go down in history for me as one of the greatest uh, there has been and it's just a very very sad thing that he has had to stop uh, and retire the way he the way he has without you know kind of having like a swan song for him to kind of yeah. bow out in a way that he deserves uh, but i guess he is also a classic example of you can't have everything in life uh, and that you need to appreciate what you have when you have it and be grateful for uh, for everything that you have in the time that you have absolutely so, uh, and i think he be the first one to first one to tell you and, and i mean i i know him for a very very long time um we are, uh, we speak a lot uh, i knew before um he was going to finish or retire that he was going to retire uh, i have known for a long time that he's been struggling um but you know he was obviously hoping against hope that he could come back at least for one last big hurrah i was hoping for him that he could come back for one big tournament but unfortunately for him it didn't happen unfortunately for the squash world it did not happen uh, but um, hopefully we can you know still have him in our thoughts and not forget the player that he was uh, the player that he has given to to squash because i don't think at least in our lifetime we are going to see uh, another like him Absolutely. Um, that, that's a really, uh, that's a tremendous uh, tribute to Rami there, uh, Sarf. Um, I just want to thank you uh, for your time today. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you and uh, really hope that you, uh, you know, continue to success on the tour. You're in the top 10 now and uh, keep it going and all the best uh, going forward for the rest of the season. Thank you very much and uh, best of luck to you too with everything and hopefully um, I can see you soon. It's been yeah, can... 17 years since I met you last. Hopefully I'll see you soon. Well, thanks again so much, sir, for that. That was a really great chat. Uh, really good to to hear some insight into how he's managed to uh, to reach his career high of 10 at the age of 32 and uh, seemingly uh, going to continue moving forward. He's playing some tremendous squash. So just want to wish him uh, all the best. And again, thanks for joining uh, me on the podcast. And everyone, thank you uh, for listening. Once again, uh, as usual, we've got a couple more uh, coming up very shortly. I know, I know you're going to enjoy them. Uh, as I mentioned, please follow uh, me on uh, Twitter, 
on Facebook. We've got the In Squash podcast page there. Leave any uh, suggestions, uh, any feedback, uh, anything like that. Really appreciate uh, you guys liking the, the podcast, sharing it with your friends, sharing it with the uh, members of the club. Now, uh, one thing I did want to mention um, a few podcasts ago, uh, Chris Hansen came on and um, he mentioned that uh, during you know, when he's in the middle of a few tournaments, instead of going out, uh, you know, doing some hard running or maybe uh, some some difficult ghosting sessions, in order to uh, alleviate the pain on the body, he uses the elliptical. So, uh, you know, I, I like to train pretty hard uh, for my age, and uh, so I added the elliptical to my uh, routine a few weeks back, and I'm not really sure exactly what he's doing in terms of, uh, you know, what type of routines he's doing on the elliptical, but I'm telling you right now, I'm, no, I'm not nearly as sore as I typically might be, uh, say if I ran uh, some 400s or 800s or you know, even did a really uh, intense session on the bike. Uh, the, the elliptical uh, is, is a great alternative, I think. Uh, you can still get, uh, get your heart rate up. I got it up to about 170, 180 consistently the other day. And it's a different routine, but then at the end of it, the next day, you're you're not sore really at all, uh, and you can fit you can feel uh, the work that you put in. So, uh, if anyone's out there uh, listening and you might be interested in something uh, a little bit different, or maybe you struggle a bit after uh, some hard training uh, on the court or some running that you might do, the elliptical, as Chris Hansen mentioned, uh, is a great alternative. I highly uh, recommend it uh, after a couple of weeks of doing it myself. Uh, not nearly as sore, not as achy uh, as I tend to be after, you know, I might do some running or maybe even some ghosting or court sprints. Uh, this is a great alternative, I think. And I played squash a few times this week and uh, didn't feel any less fit on, on court. So. Uh, definitely worth uh, giving it a try if you're looking for something not so hard on, on the body, on the joints. Uh, the elliptical is a good alternative. So uh, I gave that a try. And, and regardless, I hope you're all enjoying your squash. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for uh, the upcoming episodes over the next few weeks. And have a great day. Goodbye now.